0: Uh, the last time we were together, we looked at this reality about our lives that Jesus taught regarding our behaviors and emotions. And uh, what was it that Jesus taught? Jesus taught that everything you say, everything you do, everything I say, everything I do comes from where? You remember? The heart. Right? That you and I live from our hearts. If you've forgotten, Matthew chapter 15, it says this. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Heart, And this defiles a person. From the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So we're not going to go back and explain everything that we looked at a couple weeks ago. But in other words, Jesus taught that monitoring your behavior was never the way to find you living according to at a minimum, your own standards and much less God's standards. In fact, the scripture teaches this when uh, the, the, the wise man who wrote the book of Proverbs said this guard your heart above all else. Above all else. Like, guard your heart above all. What does above all else mean? Like, that means like, above. Above all else, like above all else, do what? Guard your heart. Why? He answers the question. For it is the source of life. And so it's no surprise that Jesus would teach this, that he would teach that everything that comes out of our life starts from our heart. You live from your heart, you love from your heart, you parent from your heart, And literally everything you do bleeds from this intangible and invisible thing that we call your heart. This is why the kind of attention we need to give to our lives isn't towards our behaviors primarily. Instead, the kind of attention that makes the most difference is focusing on what comes from our hearts. That was week one. Establishing that confronting heart issues is God's way of changing our lives. And consequently, and this is the point, because it does matter. Your behaviors do matter. But when we start with the heart, it changes not only our minds, but it also changes our behaviors. Today, I want to jump off the deep end, and I want to talk about a heart issue that really nobody wants to talk about, <laughs> and, uh, and that is... The heart issue of guilt. Guilt. Now, before I do jump in and talk about guilt, because I've already set it up to kind of like, oh, wait, are you saying guilt is not good? Um, I'm, look, what I'm saying is, before you misunderstand me, I'm not saying that all guilt is bad, okay? Not all guilt is bad. If, if guilt results from how you've treated someone, or something that you've done, and it leads you to a place of healing in your life, then then guilt can be a good thing. But unfortunately, what most of us experience is the kind of guilt that tries to make us aware that we've done something wrong or we've hurt something, because that's what guilt is. Guilt is a symptom of the fact that we have hurt someone or done something wrong. But if we do this, if we try to ignore the guilt, or suppress it, that is, the, that is what God does not want from us, and that is what causes unhealth in our lives. And the reason it becomes unhealthy is because it splits us apart from who we were intended to be. Like, there are all these other reasons why you shouldn't carry guilt, like it gives you high blood pressure, blah, blah, blah. blah. We could talk about all those type of things, but at its core, because hopefully you've come here not to hear a scientific or, um, you know, biological dissertation because I'm not a biologist so I can't talk about that doesn't but anyways from a theological standpoint here's what's important the reason guilt is unhealthy is because it actually splits us apart from who God created us to be listen when you look at the story of creation in the book of Genesis you have two people who Adam and Eve And Adam and Eve, they did what? They disobeyed God. And their first reaction was to do what? What did they do? They hid. They run and they hid because they feared God's reaction. And they were created, which by the way, like all of us, in the image of God to exist in loving community with God and each other. But when they failed to obey what God was asking, listen to this, (laughs) their immediate emotion was what? Guilt, fear. Their immediate reaction was to hide. And here's the truth, even if we're unwilling to admit it. We have been tempted, and some of you have, I know I have, been hiding from God for much of your life? For instance, we all hold certain beliefs, right? We all hold certain beliefs, but unfortunately, here's the thing about beliefs. When we fail to live up to what we profess we believe to keep our life uh, integrated, uh, we hide the part that's disintegrated. That's not really a word, because disintegrated is, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Because when something is disintegrated, when it's, um, by definition, falling apart or separating, that thing has stopped working all together. And for those of us who love and follow Jesus, we believe that our lives have become disintegrated when we who have been created by God to live in loving community with him and others disobey what God asks us to do. We believe that. And when we live like this, here's the thing, and you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus. But when we live in opposition to God's standards, here's what happens. We experience guilt in our lives, which always creates an inequity in a relationship Guilt wants me to become aware of the fact that I did something I knew I was uh, I knew was wrong, or, or or I crossed the line that I knew I should have. Or guilt guilt makes me want to be aware that uh, I said I would never and then I did, or I said I would but I didn't. Uh, guilt wants me to, to make myself aware of the, of the times that I offended you, stole from you, lied to you, hurt you. But most of all, it makes me want to know that I owe you. Maybe you've never thought about guilt in those terms. But listen, when you wrong someone, there is a sense that you've kind of stolen from them. Like, you have created an inequity in a relationship, changing the relationship's dynamic. In other words, we have moved the relationship into a debt-debtor relationship. In fact, if you're struggling to follow me, listen, don't we have terminology that speaks to that? Like, when you offend someone and you finally own up to it, here's what you say. You say things like this. Hey, um, hey I just want to let you know. I owe you an apology. Or, or maybe we say things like, hey, 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 look, look, uh, I mean, I don't know what came over me. I, I did that thing. I said that thing. I, I, I mean, I really didn't I, I didn't, I didn't mean to do it, but, you know, but, hey, let me make it, what, up to you. See, like, you know, you know that guilt causes an inequity in a relationship that can be best described as a debtorship. That's not even a word, is it? I don't care. Whatever. And why do we do that? Like, why do we do do this? Because we can sense the tension created by what we have done or said, and we instinctively recognize that we are now in debt to them. Like, when we lie, we rob someone of trust and the ability to have a relationship because you can't have a relationship with someone who continually lies to you. When we wrongly accuse someone or disparage others, we've robbed them of reputation or possibly even opportunity. Like think about, think about the times that someone has spoken unjustly about you, right? Or when we say something hurtful to someone, we rob them of security and possibly a relationship with us. And listen, at at the risk of sounding oversimplistic, guilt results from leaving a debt unresolved. So the question is, what do we do about it? How do we resolve guilt? Well, the best advice I know comes from something Jesus said during a sermon he gave, we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus preaches one of the most powerful messages on what the kingdom of God looks like and who are the kind of people who are part of that kingdom. And so right after opening his sermon by declaring that the kind of people who are happy and blessed, you'll remember this by, uh, some of you will know, calling this the Beatitudes. After opening this great sermon by, by declaring happy are those, blessed are those, These people, and by the way, they're people that no one in that culture and by the world standards is actually supposed to be considered blessed or happy. And and, and Jesus dives right in. Right after saying this, you'll see this in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus dives right into talking about how our hearts play in seeing us become people of the kingdom of God. So let's look at this together. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 says this. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sisters will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. So, here in this passage, Jesus reaffirms that behaviors do matter, right? Like, it it, it does matter. And that we will ultimately face consequences for our behaviors. But still, here's the thing Jesus says that judgment is not only based on your behavior, it also includes something deeper that observing behaviors alone may not reveal. The Bible scholars who worked on uh, the Christian standard Bible translation have it right, I think, when they call this section, like literally it, it says right here, it says, murder begins in the heart. Because according to Jesus, you can't ever write relationship with God and have broken relationship with the people he has created and put into your life. Before you can worship God, you must make things right, With people. The question is, how do you make things right with people who you've wronged? Unfortunately, here's what I see many people do, and I'm and and be honest, I'm tempted to do it myself. We often treat the debt of guilt like we try to treat the debt of finances. We try to resolve our gift by our guilt by thinking we can repay the debt or make up for the debt that the decisions of our life has caused the problem is that debt caused by guilt we harbor in our hearts is not something we can pay back because the debt of our guilt can be so intangible at times like how do you pay back a reputation you spoiled like how do you how do you how do you pay back a failed marriage? How do you, how do you pay back, uh, I really wish I was there for you in your childhood, son. How do, you, how do you pay back very hurtful words or actions that can't be just easily forgotten? How do you pay back someone's self-esteem has been literally crushed because of your cruelty and your pride and your inability to humble yourself. I'll tell you, it's impossible. It's impossible. And since it's impossible to repay most of the intangible relational debts that we accumulate in this life, (laughs) we accumulate, we build up guilt in our lives, And everywhere we go, it goes with us. And if you're carrying guilt, it affects every relationship of your life. The guilt you pick up in college and you don't deal with, (laughs) you'll carry it into that marriage. The guilt you pick up on that business trip where you had no accountability, and don't deal with it, you'll carry it back home. The guilt you picked up from a failed marriage and don't deal with it, well, you'll carry that, I promise you, into your next marriage. Because as long as you have unresolved guilt in your life, it doesn't just affect the relationship or, or, or the season that you picked it up in, it doesn't just affect the relationships of that season. You carry that guilt into every relationship and every season of life in the future. And guilt is unhealthy and it will eat at you and it will eat at you and poison your heart and relationships and faith until you deal with it. And some of you, and I don't know why, some of you struggle To let go of guilt. Some of you might think that carrying your guilt as part of your life is the punishment that I must pay for everything that I've done. And if that's you and you hear nothing else today, I want to say this as poignantly as I can, if you are struggling with guilt, that is not from God. Guilt is a heart issue that left unresolved will grow and leak into every part of your life, but the good news is God wants to offer you freedom from your guilt. In fact, Here's what the scripture teaches us. Romans 2 verse 4 says this. Don't you see? Don't you understand? C- come on. In light of everything that God has done, don't you know? Haven't you seen how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? I'm not putting my own words in. This is literally what Paul says. Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't you know that it's God's kindness that He intended to lead you, um, translation I learned it, into repentance? Don't you know? It's the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God, not His shame, that leads us to repentance in the face of our guilt. The Scripture tells us this is the heart of God. Isaiah 118 says this, Come, let us settle this. (laughs) I love that. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as... As snow. This is even before the tide stick, okay? So, like, this is a miracle. (laughs) Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Other translations say, Come, let us argue. I love that. Why? Because God wants to convince us. Don't miss this language. (laughs) If you're, because some of you are like, oh no, I feel guilty because God has to convince me. And you're like, oh, I should, I should just believe. No, 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 no. God understands you have a tendency to believe your own way and to buy into the lies that the evil one would have you believe. And so here's what Jesus says: here's what the Lord says. All right? Come on. Let's argue by the way, he always wins. But he's okay with that. He doesn't say, stupid. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? You know, God's not like the cosmic Karen or, <laughs> you know, you know who I am? I've lived in this neighborhood forever. You can't do that hair. Uh, you know, that's not God. God says, come. Let us argue. Because God wants to convince us of his forgiveness. <laughs> Even though we're a tough sell, because we are, listen, God wants to lead us. He is the good shepherd. He wants to lead us into a life that is a life by the still waters, where he restores our soul. He wants to lead us into a life that is free of guilt. Okay, now that sounds good, so how do we achieve that, Phil? Listen, listen. The solution to the guilt in our lives is this. It's confession. It's confession. Confession is like a spotlight that shines in the darkness of our heart that has the power to clean it out. Because when you're carrying all the guilt, part of your struggle is that you want to forgive yourself, but you will never adequately forgive yourself unless you first openly confess to the person you stole from. This is why the Old Testament taught that confession is not primarily telling God about the things he already knows you've done. Instead, confession is about going back to the person you've offended and shining a massive light on your guilt with confession. Numbers tells us this, Numbers 5, verse six and seven. Tell the Israelites, when a man or a woman commits any sin against another, That person acts unfaithfully toward the Lord, and he is guilty. Okay, that's one thing. We get that. But listen to verse 7. The person is to confess, confess the sin he has committed. He is to pay full compensation and add a fifth of its value to it and give it to the individual he has wronged. See, listen. When God gave this law, he said, don't tell me that you've wronged someone. I already know. Instead, go to the person you sinned against. Make it right. Confess. This, of course, is all very surprising when you realize that we kind of live in this religious culture. Let's just be honest. We do live in this religious culture. Even people who aren't Christians say things like, only God is my judge. Right? You hear that, right? Or, you know what? If I do something wrong to God, if I do something wrong to someone else, I just let God know. I just, I just tell God. And, you know, God's like, I know. <laughs> That's kind of my superpower. Like, I know. Or maybe we don't go to God, right? Maybe we go to someone we think is close to God. Maybe represents godliness to us, and then so we go confess to them. And for a moment, you feel better. Like, oh, I confessed, and feel better. But the truth is that you're right back at doing what it was you had felt so guilty about a week later. God never said, hey, when you do wrong, you just tell me. Yeah, we'll be good. You know, just, just, just tell me. When you wrong someone, just tell me, you know, yeah, we'll be good. And just, As long as you're cool with me, <laughs> you're good. Like, God never said that. And Jesus also proved this in his interaction with a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, if you don't know who Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Um, He climbed up on a sycamore tree for, right? And uh, so we we all know the story. And Luke, a disciple of Jesus, a doctor by profession, painstakingly, wrote a detailed account of the life of Jesus, and he writes about this meeting in what we consider chapter 19 in the Gospel of Luke. And if you grew up in church, you probably remember the story. You know the song. And he was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who used his position and authority to take advantage of people. Like, that, that's kind of if I was to break it down. But here's the thing. One day he met Jesus. Like, he saw Jesus, and something changed. Something inside of him changed. And how do we know this? Because Luke tells us that he went to every person he had cheated and stole from. And not only paid them back, but he paid them back, what, four times as much. And what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say... Okay, Zacchaeus, that's a little bit much. You really really don't have to do that. Like, just say you're sorry to me. Like, it's cool. I'll forgive you. Did Jesus, like, say that? Did he, like, correct him? No, here's what Jesus did say. Luke 19, verses 9 to 10. Here's what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. And then, it doesn't say this in the side notes, but every Bible scholar agrees to this. This next sentence that Jesus says is basically to all the Pharisees watching Jesus call this tax collector righteous, part of the kingdom of God, a son of Abraham, it's like he looks at all the people who are judging him and he goes, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Just in case you had any doubt, this is what I came here to do. In other words, Jesus said, it's obvious that salvation has come, that God is doing something, because a move of God to clean our hearts from guilt always starts with confession. And we live in this age that is so fascinating, where if you listen to what most people are saying, they're saying things like, look, hey, you just do you, man. You just do you. If you want to live your best life, then you speak your truth. You just do you. You do you. I don't even know that's good grammar. And I look inside of me, and I'm like, I'm not sure that the world needs more of me doing me. Like, that's just not... Like, I know me. Like, you don't need more of me doing me in your life. That's not what you need. And everyone in this world is working so hard to live their truth and to do the you-do-you thing. And all the while, anxiety and depression are on the rise Right? Why is it? Why? But you know what's not on the rise? Confession. Confession. Confession isn't on the rise. And as a friend of mine who's a pastor says, we live in an age where the bigger the sin, the bigger the spin. See, I wish I could take credit for that. But that's good. Like, the bigger the sin, the bigger the spin. Like, well, you know, I got my reasons. Well, I'm just, you know, living my best life. Just being authentic. Yeah, authentically hurtful. Authentically damaging. Authentically not bringing value to the table. And we don't want to confess that there's actually something inside of us that is ugly. Like, heaven forbid. Instead, we want to deflect and when we do, here's what happens. We disintegrate. We fall apart. What we never confess, we never address. Okay? Now you could... That's, that's mine. You write that down. And do you know what the problem with you doing you is, ultimately? ultimately, The problem with you doing you is... <laughs> I'm going to say this, and some of you are going to be like, okay, well, that makes sense. That, can't believe you took that long to get there. But I did a lot of thinking about this, and The problem with you doing you is all you get at the end of you doing you is just more of you. Like, you you doing you is just you. The problem with me doing me is I, I just get more of me, and I'm actually the problem most of the time. Everywhere I go. Maybe not you, but I'm just being honest. Like, I'm the problem most of the time. Every time it hasn't worked out particularly well in a job, every time a friendship has imploded, every time our marriage gets into a rough season, do you know who is involved? Me. I am. I seem to be the common denominator in all those situations in my life. If I was honest with myself, and isn't it amazing that (laughs) we will complain to God in our prayers about everything going on in our lives, our marriage, our work, weather, our boss, our neighbors, our friends, our circumstances, our bank accounts, That's easy. You know what the hard part is? It's taking responsibility. That's because confession is linked to responsibility. It is true that if we confess to God, He forgives us. 1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then what is the reason for confessing to others then? Okay, thanks, Phil. You've convinced me. I'll confess to God. Well, why confess to others? Listen, we confess to God for the forgiveness of sin. We confess to others to heal from guilt. Let me be clear. The goal of confession is not simply to relieve your conscience. Okay, there's some people who do that. Well, I said I was sorry. Well, I said I was sorry. Come on, can't you just? I said I was sorry. Why are you still holding it? Right, that, 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 that's no, don't do that. Conscious relief does not affect change in our life, by the way. Like, just because you feel better about it doesn't change your life, and it definitely doesn't promote reconciliation. If you want healing and change, you must go to the person you've hurt or offended, and you confess to them, ask them for forgiveness. That's why Jesus taught this. We read this when I started. So if you're offering your gift to the altar and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. James, the brother of Jesus, taught something similar when he wrote in James 15, verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray. For one another. Now, that would be a great command if the period was found there. But you know what it says right after that? So that you may be healed. Here's the truth about confession that you may not have realized. The goal of confession is not simply a clear conscience Because let's be honest, the sins you confess to God, confession, the sins that I confess to God, I, I tend to repeat, don't you? And so no one really has a clear conscience when you just confess to God. So the goal of confession is not just a clear conscience. The goal of confession is actually heart change. Like a changed heart and because we've already established that you and I live from our hearts, we have to confess in such a way that our hearts are impacted. And, and, and forgive me for sounding overpassionate about this, but listen. One of my greatest fears is that one day I will have to sit at your bedside. And you're breathing your last breaths. And you look to me and you whisper in my ear, And say, Phil, I've been carrying guilt about XYZ my whole life. And I don't wanna die carrying that guilt. I dread that because I know that it is at that time you will realize that it would have been better to deal with the pain and embarrassment and social, whatever, you know, things that happen when you confess that you did something wrong, instead of bearing the weight of concealing. And this is because you will have realized the truth about confession versus the truth about concealment. that The consequences of confession are tangible, immediate, and affect a handful of people. On the other hand, the consequences of concealment are intangible. You might get away with concealing, but I promise you, they will affect, they will impact every relationship you have, and the effect can last a lifetime. So, (laughs) question… Hope that wasn't too heavy. You guys know I love you. But sometimes we have to talk about hard things because I want to see us healed. Don't you want to be healed by the power of God in your life? So, if you were you, if, not if you were you, if you were God, if you were God, what would you choose for yourself? Like if you were God, who would you choose for you? Would you choose confession? Or would you choose concealing? Would you choose confess now? Or will you choose well, it's okay, you just tell me and maybe time will heal things. Don't allow the consequences of sin to chase you all around for the rest of your life. So here are three things you can do. One, confess to somebody. Two, ultimately, confess to the person you robbed, that you stole from, that you wronged. And then three, make restitution as possible. And if you do these things, here's what I know will happen, because I've seen it over and over again, your outside world will become momentarily more complicated. I'm just telling you, like warning you, your outside world will become momentarily more complicated. (laughs) But your inside world will become free. And at the end of the day, you'll find that you'll Be able to forgive yourself and be free of guilt, but not until you confess properly. So the question is, ultimately, that we're going to ask through this series is this. Hey, how's your heart? How's your heart? Do you have any secrets? Have you been carrying around a load, and today you've been able to see with clarity that your guilt really does impact you? that it really does affect you? Have you found that your guilt affects your ability to be transparent with the people you want to love and the ones you feel you love the most? Are there subjects you know you should be having conversations about with your spouse or your kids, but you just can't seem to go there? Would you be willing to just settle it? Would you be willing to complicate your life in the short term to free your life up in the long term? Would you be willing to live with the tangible consequences of your confession instead of the intangible consequences of a load of carrying guilt? Would you be willing to trust your heavenly Father by living life His way and simply obey Him, trusting that He'll honor the decision to confess and help bring healing and restitution to the person you owe? Because if you do, you'll be free. You'll be able to forgive yourself too. And you will begin to take a giant step towards cleaning out and guarding your heart as confession becomes a lifestyle and a habit. So why don't you just do it? (laughs) just do it and then trust God with the outcome stop trying to manage the outcome just confess because at the end of the day Jesus tells us that confession breaks the power of guilt